Welcome to the Build My Online Store podcast, where we discuss everything and anything about running an online store. If you like the podcast, sign up for the mailing list to get news and updates at buildmyonlinestore.com. And now, here's your host, Terry Lynn. Welcome to episode 33 of the Build My Online Podcast. I'm your host, Terry, and this week I have Ezra Firestone from Boom by Cindy Joseph, where they sell pro-age organic skincare products for women. And so this is a very long episode, but it has a lot of great stuff in here. So do have a piece of paper and pen handy when you're listening to this episode. Uh, you may also know Ezra from the new podcast he hosts with James Shremko called Think, Act, Get, which is a great podcast about having the right mindset uh, about approaching life and business. And so their tagline is, what you think determines how you act and how you act determines what you get. So do take some time to check out that podcast too. And with that being said, let's just get into this week's episode. Thanks for taking the time to do the call. Uh, you know, we've been kind of emailing back and forth uh, before the year, and finally uh, we're connecting here. So, uh, you know, just real quick, Ezra, what's your background and how'd you get into Boom and what's the whole story behind it? Thanks, man. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here and thanks for having me on the show. My background is as an internet marketer. So I started uh, learning about traffic and SEO and pay per click going maybe nine years ago now. And I started out as a consultant helping other people, you know, leverage. Basically, once you know how to get people to see, like once you know how to create visibility for a business or an offer or a product by leveraging the online medium that we all have access to and driving all eyeballs to different offers, you get uh, a lot of people who want your help, you know? And so I got pretty good at, at uh, driving traffic through SEO and stuff like that a long time ago. And I was doing consulting for local businesses and doing stuff like that. And I, I kind of made the decision that what I had to do is sort of use these skills that I had had learned to uh, sell my own products or create my own businesses rather than do consulting for other folks. And and that moved me in the direction of information products and physical products. And, um, and that had me start thinking about, okay, once you get people to know that you exist, once you've created visibility for whatever your business is, well, what comes next? And the next step is you need to get those people to take you up on the offers that you make. And that's conversion and landing page psychology and persuasion, all these different things that we all know about. And I sort of poured my 10,000 hours into that and got really good at that. And then I figured out that there was a third piece of this puzzle that nobody was really talking about, which is what where Boom comes in, uh, which is once you get people to know that you exist and once you get them to take you up on the offers that you make, how can you add enough value to that person, add, to that customer? How can you create enough of a relationship with them that they want to come back and do more business with you in the future? Um, and that's repeat sales. And that's really where your business lives or dies. Because sure, anyone can go and buy some traffic or do some SEO and get get someone to you know see their offer, someone who's targeted and interested in what they have to say. Anyone can get you know someone to buy their stuff. But can you add enough value to your community that they would like to come back and do business with you in the future? And and I believe that's really where we're moving. Um, you know, with with how everything's going social and everything's community based. And I know we're going to talk about this later in the show. So. My background was as a marketer, and Cindy Joseph, who's my business partner in Boom, uh, was a really good friend of mine. And she's a, she's a, uh, she was a, a makeup artist in the '80s, in the late '80s and '90s. She was like, you know, 
all the top supermodels of the time, you know, your Cameron Diaz's and your Tyra Banks. And when she was 49 years old, she was approached to do a, she was approached on the street in New York City. We live in New York City. And they, they said, hey, we'd like to take your picture for a, a Dolce & Gabbana um, campaign, a worldwide campaign. And she thought they were just messing around with her. Like someone, you know, someone in the industry was just like joking with her. And so she said, sure, fine, you know, take my picture. And they took her picture. And she got the campaign and it was like this sort of, it was the first time that an older woman, it was like an older, it was like sort of one of these um, provocative ads where it was a younger man with an older woman. And it was at the time that bigger companies and retailers were starting to realize that the baby boomers were a big demographic of buyers and that they wanted to see, you know, people their own age being displayed in ads and sort of Cindy was, ended up becoming the poster child for this generation of women uh, who were having this experience, which we'll talk about in just a second. And so she became this really famous fashion model at the age of 49 and for the last, she's 64 now, so for the last 15 years she's had a huge career in, as a supermodel you know, billboards in Times Square and commercials and catalogs, you know. Um, so she sort of reinvented her life sort of by accident at the age of 49 as a supermodel. And I was living with her. when I moved to New York straight out of high school to play poker for a living. And, and Cindy was a good friend of mine. She was friends with my folks. I grew up on this hippie commune. And Cindy would come to, you know, take these courses on lifestyle and relationships and communication and things like that. And we became buddies. And so I, I moved out to New York to live with her. And I started talking, you know, I'd gotten into marketing and all that stuff. And, and I was like, you know, you have this background in makeup and cosmetics. And now you have this community and sort of um, presence in this other field with this, you know, group of people. What we ought to do is sort of create something. And, you know, her first viewpoint was like, does the world really need another tube of lipstick? Like, or, you know, I don't think. You know, we don't need another product out there. So the inspiration for the business didn't really come from the fact that we just wanted to create another product. So in America, right, and I, I don't, you know, and actually in most countries in, in the sort of where we are in, in the civilization of the world today and kind of where we've been, uh, men, you and I, we're, we're lucky, man. We're valued for our production. So as we make more money, as we produce more, as we age, we get more social power. We get more, you know, we get more social clout and, and more uh, power within society. Well, women, on the other hand, are valued for youth and beauty. And that stems to 100 years ago, like when a woman was in her childbearing years, she actually was more valuable to society. But nowadays, it's really just a bunch of BS. And we've got 76 million women in America who are collectively having the experience of their hair graying or their, their, their skin wrinkling and their bodies are aging on the outside faster than they are on the inside. And society is treating them differently because of it. And they don't, and it's not nice and they don't like it. And, you know, everyone is telling them anti-age, anti-wrinkle, you know, you're wrong the way you are. Are. And like what we're saying is we're approaching, we've got different, a different message that we're sending to people, which is really what makes us stand out, which is, hey, you are right just the way you are. You are the right age, the right size, the right shape, the right color, and there is nothing wrong with you. And you don't have to hide your wrinkles or cake on makeup to hide who you are. And sure, you can use cosmetics and skin cream and stuff like that to celebrate yourself and to show, show yourself off. And like, you know, you don't, your sex life doesn't have to end when you go through menopause. And like, so we have this group of women who are having this experience and we're talking to them about the problems and conversations that are relevant to their lives right now. And that's really what Boom is 
stems around. And that's really where, why we decided to go forward with it because we thought, hey, we can add value to this group in a way that you know, no one else is doing. There's, there's, a, there's a place for us in this market that's not taken up right now. And yes, we can create a product line and we can create a business and we can fund ourselves doing this, but it's more about the message that we're spreading and the community that we're building. Yeah, and I think the important thing is that it really hits an emotional point for your customer. It's not just some product that's like a makeup product, right? Exactly. It's it's something, and I think that that's where business is going. I think that the day and the age of the faceless e-commerce store, the faceless you know brick and mortar store, where it's just like we have products to sell, is sort of going away. And this relationship-based marketing and these relationship-based stores, which we'll talk about a little later, about how you can you know figure out how you can do that for your business. Um, is what's coming into, you know. Yeah, and so another point you brought up that was interesting was that how a community can really drive more sales in terms of calculating your lifetime value of a customer too, right? Yeah, I think that exactly that it's, you know, if, if you look at our if you look at our analytics, it's kind of crazy. 60% of our sales are coming from people who have visit our have been who who are past customers. 60% at this point. We're doing big volume and 60 of our volume is from past customers because of how strong our community is. And I think that, um, you know, that, that doing what it takes. And I think one of your other guys who was on your show that I was listening to, the drop, uh, a, a fellow who was talking about, you know, dropship e-commerce was saying, you know, you really need to look at how you can add value to your market and how you can relate with your community. And I believe that really strongly. Yeah. And so it's funny because since you came from kind of internet marketing world, and I guess like the whole product launch format is really big there, right? Like the whole kind of launch a big product and then kind of just make a million dollars at one time versus kind of the other approach where you're kind of into now building a community and really generating the lifetime value. And that kind of it's a different approach too. And that's the beauty of e-commerce is that it's not one and done marketing, that you're building something that will last, that's liquidatable, that holds value. When I was looking at, so okay, you figure out how to get traffic. You figure out how to get that traffic to convert. Well, what's the best use of your traffic and conversion at that point? Well, I'll, I'll tell you what. The best use of your traffic and conversion is not for a product launch or a one-off information product. It's for a store. It's for a, 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 you know, building a community in an e-commerce store. It's what I found to be you know, the best use of my time if I was going to be investing it towards how to build a business. I, I decided e-commerce was best. Yeah, all right, so let's just jump into a little bit about the community-based e-commerce. So before this call, uh, we had a quick chat about how kind of when e-commerce first came out, it was just Amazon, eBay, you had these big portals, and then now uh, that ha- really has been democratized where anyone can start a store now, right? But the next thing is, well, how do you stand above all these noise? And you see things like where Facebook is coming out with the social search, and it's kind of pushing everything towards community-based, relationship-based. So kind of what are your thoughts on the next... I guess, next generation of e-commerce and kind of where do you see it going? So here's what I think. I think that one, um, one medium or one piece of media rarely replaces another. I don't think that the channels are going away, your Amazons, your Ebays, your Facebooks. In fact, I think the channels are only growing. And I also don't think everyone's all scared. You know, the mom and pop e-commerce store where you're on your own platform, you know, none of your sales are going to come from your platform and everything's going to be done through channels. And I disagree with that as well. I think that, that where we're moving is that in, in our day and age, you know, we're so fortunate to be living in the time. Think about five years ago. None of this existed. What's going to happen five years from now? So we live in this time where things are changing so fast, where we have access. We're the first generation of people who has instant access to the rest of the world. Nobody has ever had that before. And so, and what Google's figured out and what Facebook's figured out and what Amazon's figured out is that different people prefer to consume media 
in different formats. Different people prefer to shop in different ways. So like some people like to read books and some people like to listen to podcasts. Some people like to watch videos. Some people like to shop through channels. Some people like to shop on mom and pop or, you know, single store platforms. And I think that really the way to uh, divert, the, the key moving forward is diversity. You want your products on the channels. You want uh, videos on, on the video channels like YouTube. You want your videos on Facebook so that you're communicating with that channel. You want your audio up on podcasts. Like you want to be everywhere because it's not, it's not like the old days where people had to walk into one store to buy. People have all these different avenues or all these different touch points where they can relate with brands. So the key for me for community-based e-commerce 3.0 is to be everywhere where my community is and that's on all these different channels and to have something of value to offer them which isn't just a product. So it's no longer just about I have these products for sale. What it's about now is I'm interested in what's going on in your life. And here's my viewpoints on it, and here's how my products relate to that. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And so before we get ahead with the community, you know, for the new store owner that's just starting out, you know, who doesn't really have a community yet, I mean, what do you tell him to get started in building a community? Like, what are some tips you have? Easiest thing in the world to build, to build a community right now. And I'm, I'm teaching people how to do this um, in any market if, oh, around any topic because there are people, you know, there's people who are interested in everything. You just have to find your community. So what you do, instead of going and looking for the community and being like, oh, I want to find this forum where my community is or I want to, you know, what you do is you be the catalyst for creating your own community. And the cool thing about Facebook is that you can figure out, you know, you know, Lorindo, you can check what they like through Facebook ads. So you create videos right? You create videos that are relevant to the topics and conversations of your community. You post them out on Facebook and just posting them out on Facebook, they'll get shared. People will find them. Like you don't even have to pay for it. But if you really want to take it to the next level, if you're just getting started out and you have, you only need $10 a day to do this. 300 bucks a month or even $200 a month is enough to start with. You just advertise your videos out on Facebook to the target demographic of your community. If it's people who are interested in fishing, you can target people who, who like fishing, who live in this certain area. And I think that Facebook really is uh, the best opportunity for someone who's brand new to build up a community. And the way to do it is to not market your products out there, but to create content that's relevant to that group of people and then put it out in front of them and ask for their feedback. Mm -hmm, interesting. And so in, in terms of um, Boom, so how did you guys figured out the community and the product like which kind of came first in the chicken or egg thing yeah so we um so we knew this community existed right we because we you know we talk to women we get you know cindy cindy's you know, this is what cindy talks about in her life is this experience that she's going through and so we were aware and the key here is collective experiences you have to be aware of the collective experiences of your community so what are they all experiencing together that they can relate about. Well, aging is obviously a process that we're all experiencing. And so we were aware of this group of women and we were aware of, you know, there's so many different, um, there's so many different sort of things that people believe about aging and about menopause. And it's sort of like, it's a, a mystical thing that people don't really have a lot of information on. And so we knew this community existed. And so what we did was we, we started creating before we created the product, we created our messaging. Like, what do we want to say to this group of women? Like, what is our, you know, and, and men now that we're creating products for men, but what is, what is it that we'd like to communicate to them? And then we decided, okay, well, if we're going to go about communicating with this community and talking to them, well, we'd like to be able to support ourselves while doing that and have a good product to offer people. And so we, after that, we moved into, okay, what are the products we're going to offer? How do we create them? And the thing about creating products is, 
if you're going to manufacture your own products like we're doing, there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. Like, what are you going to put in those things? Or what do you care? Do you care if there's parabens and all this crazy stuff that's not good for people in your products? Or do you not care? Like, where are you on that sort of ethical and moral continuum? And we decided that, you know what? We want 100% organic. We want no, you know, metals. Like, we wanted, we really wanted something that you, that you could put that a baby could eat. So our product is really a, kind of a food product. You could really eat this thing. You know, it's USDA certified and all that stuff. So community came first. And I think this is really key with any e-commerce store. You've got to know that the community exists first. And then you can go about picking your products or picking your market or whatever. But if you don't have a group of people who are interested in that thing, you're not going to be successful with it. So community is always first, in my opinion. Yeah, and one thing you touched about is creating the message um, for your community. And so let's go into a little bit deeper about that. What was the process like uh, for Boom with Cindy Joseph in terms of how you guys came up with some different messages and how did you narrow it down to what it is today? Because I think a lot of store owners, they, they, they're still in the mentality of, I just want to open a store and I'll put my products on there. And kind of they don't really think about the message. So what was the process you guys went through? So messaging's important. You're absolutely right. And and the process we had was like, okay, here's what we want to say. Here's our, here are our viewpoints on these topics, on these products, on this this you know thing that's going on in life. Like this is what we think about it. You know, we sat down, we had a bunch of meetings. You know, we thought about it, and then we thought, okay. Let's get feedback from other people who are in this demographic. Let's go and send this out to all of Cindy's friends who are fashion models at Ford Models and see what they think about it. And we just went about getting other people's viewpoints and then changing things. And then what happens is, okay, you set your messaging, but your messaging isn't done once you set it and once you start. Every day, every video you create, every customer that you touch is going to give you feedback and going to give you ideas and going to give you new thoughts about, about your message. I think messaging around a product is ever-changing. And so how do you tweak the message when you're getting feedback all the time? Because certainly, I mean, you talk to one person, you talk to 10 people, is that a big enough sample size to tweak your message or what's the deal with that? If you get people in a small community, it just it's sample size. So if you've got 100,000 people, well, you're probably not going to tweak your messaging based on 10. But if 100 or 200 or 300 of those people are giving you the same feedback, well, then you probably want to include that topic or you probably want to, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's the size of your community. It's the percentage of, of them who are communicating with you. Yeah. So how did you come up with the first product uh, on the store? Well, we actually um, we got kind of lucky because we we have some friends who are beekeepers in Hawaii, and they've got a really interesting story. They um you know they keep these bees in in Hawaii. Uh, you know they've got a big you know bee I don't know what they're called bee farm or whatever. Anthony is is the guy's name. He was uh, down there. You know every every year or every six months you you separate the honey from the wax so that you know from the hive so that the bees can go in and recreate the hive, and he was giving his wife a massage afterwards and she was like, wow, your hands are really soft. You know, maybe you should make a skin cream out of that beeswax. So they created this, um, they created this product line. They created this skin cream that got really big and is in like every Whole Foods all over the country. And these people are really, really good friends of ours. And so what we did first was we white labeled that and we said, hey, we'd like to, you know, use this product that, that you've created um, as, as our own and, 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 you know, for our company. And so we white labeled that product as a way to get started quick. And then what we did was we went and had, there's, you know, there's companies out there who, who manufacture uh, cosmetics who will create products for you, who will, who will sit down with you and say, okay, here's, you know, here's our normal formula. You can put this, this, this in it. And they'll just let you like basically create your own product based on 
all the ingredients that they make. So we just we went and we found this company up in upstate New York that uh, that does this process. And they let us pick and choose all the different ingredients we wanted in there. And then, you know, you add a little bit more to change the consistency. And it was just a back and forth for months until we got the right consistency and the right color. And it had no bad stuff in it and all that kind of stuff. I see. So how big is the organic cosmetic market versus like the mainstream big brand types? I mean, mainstream big brand cosmetics is obviously huge and worldwide and like just unbelievably enormous and organic is you know organic and natural is on the upswing people are starting to join the green movement but it's just such a small fraction i'd say it's like one or two percent of the total cosmetic market but it doesn't matter that's the cool thing about about e-commerce is that you don't have you don't need a giant you know you don't need the whole worldwide market you just need a little piece because there's enough to go around for everyone and and i think that um that the cool thing about these little niche markets is that they're growing as more people are coming online. And you talked about this in one of your po- podcasts. As people are crossing the chasm, and as people are, you know, picking, uh, joining the tech, you know, the technology adoption curve and all that stuff. Uh, all of these markets are continually growing. And 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 I, this is the same podcast that I listened to you uh, with the dropshipper. I think his name was Andrew. Where you guys were talking about you know, internet being in its infancy, e-commerce being a baby. Like the folks who are listening to this podcast with us right now. Are, are at, at such a perfect time to be getting started in e-commerce or building their e-commerce businesses because 10 years from now, this is going to be huge. Like we're just, the growth we're going to experience as e-commerce business owners over the next 10 years is just incredible. So I'm, I'm patting myself on the back and I think everyone listening should pat themselves on the back for being a part. I know, and you know, it's funny, I did some, I checked some uh, stats again and he was saying e-commerce in North America was actually 10%. I checked the U.S. Census government in terms of like all retail sales. It's actually five, believe it or not. Wow. Every, every quarter they put out a report. The next one will be on February 15th. And so I'll send you the link later, but they basically break down every quarter total retail sales and e-commerce is like 4.7, 4.8, and it just topped 5.2 in the last quarter of 2012. And so... Basically, and it's growing by like 20% every year. I mean, it's, it's a huge market, and it's, I don't think there's a better time than now. That's incredible. That, that's, mind, that's mind-boggling. I, I, that, I'm giving myself a double pat on the back. Yeah, exactly. And 5%, like how, that's, like, that's nothing. Like, I, I'm so surprised at how low that is. I, I just can't believe it. I thought it, was, I thought it was closer to 15, honestly, from the last report I read. I mean, I'm going to have to check where I'm getting my information, but... That's yeah, this one is just in the USA though. It's the it's by the gun by the government, so I assume you know it's done legitimately. So, yeah. All right, all right. So let's so let's get back on topic here before we kind of lose our steam here. So, okay, so you guys got the product on your store. How did you really push this out, or kind of like get your customers interested in the community uh, all around this? Sure. So you know we started out. Obviously, I'm uh, you know. I understand how to drive traffic, so we had that. We had that in our back pockets. That we had, a, you know, a digital marketer on the team. But the interesting uh, problem that we faced for this product line was that there was no search volume for pro age cosmetics like this. There was no market for this. People were not actively searching for this. So we decided to go the route of press and PR, and we hired a PR agent. We actually got. Tony Hawk's PR agent and we started getting morning shows and magazines and interviews and like the message is is so cool that it picked up and it picked up steam and we were getting asked to do all these interviews and so press has been really the driving force and most people don't hire I'll tell you what 
if you know, there's there are there are PR agents that started a thousand bucks, and the SEO value that you get, we didn't expect this. We, this was kind of a side benefit. The SEO value that you get from all, from from having legitimate real press, because you're getting links from ABC Worldwide, and you're getting links from the San Francisco Chronicle, which are kind of just sort of a side benefit because you're also driving a bunch of sales when all. People see you know see you in the San Francisco Chronicle or see you on ABC Worldwide News. So we got you know press has really been the driving force of of this company. And just this year, have we really put our attention on on digital marketing and um, you know driving some traffic through search volume? Because what we realized was you know we can we can take people who are looking for anti aging skin cream, send them to a video that says, hey, you're looking for anti aging skincare. Well, you know you ought to consider this other stuff, which is you know pro-age and that you don't need to hide who you are. You don't need to reverse your aging process. And, and so we're kind of using this sort of people who are looking for the opposite. And, and I did this actually with a company. I was um, doing the marketing for a real estate company down in Uruguay. And you're, you know people who are interested in investing, this is kind of off topic, but it's sort of a fun little tangent. Um, people who are interested in diversifying their, their portfolio and, and are worried about the American dollar dropping or investing a lot of money into Latin America. And so uh, but people don't know about Uruguay. They don't know. They, they just they know about Costa Rica and Belize and these other places. And so what we did was we would buy traffic for terms like real estate Belize and real estate um, Costa Rica. And we'd send them to a video that said, hey – are you considering Costa Rica? Well, you're, you could be making a huge, mis- huge mistake. You ought to check out Uruguay for these reasons. And so I think that's a really interesting concept that people can use for their businesses is what's the opposite or what's, what's a tangent type thing that people are looking for that you can relate your products back to and show why your products or services have benefits that the others don't and convert a customer who wasn't actually looking for you. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, marketing jujitsu. How you had the "I'm a Mac, I'm a PC." I kind of by leveraging "I'm not a PC," you're basically flipped the whole equation over in terms of your messaging. Exactly. Yeah, interesting. All right, and so and so it's, it's, there was another point you brought up about using press because I guess your target demographic really watched like the morning news, the daytime shows. So that's kind of really where they were, right? They weren't on like social media or any of these platforms as much as like say someone our age would be too. Exactly. Like we've got, we, it's a bit of a problem that we face in our business is that, you know, our main demographic are, are women who are over 35. Now, the product is for all women, frankly. It's for en- women of any age and soon to be men. But, but the ones who this truly resonates with are the ones who are having this experience. And those are, those are women who are over, you know, in their late 30s and, and early 40s and, and beyond. And, you know, a lot of them have not quite taken to social media yet. They're not on Facebook. They're not on Twitter. They're not on Google. They're not on, you know, they're getting on Pinterest, which is kind of Cool. But um, so that was a problem that we had. It was like, how do we reach these people? You know, and morning news shows, newspapers, um, you know, local events, which we'll talk about in just a second here. Like, we had to sort of go guerrilla marketing style on this. Mm-hmm. And so, I like how you guys use press because with good press, you're really getting a trifecta. Right? You get your traffic from being on news news websites. Uh, you get social proof from the kind of like where you've been, and you also get links uh, back to your site too. Yeah, and you get. Like the social proof is huge when someone looks, sees you in a magazine or someone sees you on, um, on the news and like, you know, yeah, the SEO benefits are fantastic. We pretty much rank for whatever we want because we have so much authority now from all these news links over the past couple of years. But it really does drive sales and press is not expensive. There's a lot of folks who listen to this podcast who have stores that are doing 500000 or a million dollars in revenue. And you've got, you know, an extra thousand bucks or 2000 bucks a month to hire a PR agent. And if you're just starting out, you don't, I just want to, I want to make this perfectly clear that you don't need 
a PR agent or a press agent, or you don't need to do press for your store if you're just starting out. There are so many other avenues that you can exploit that we'll talk about um, to generate sales and generate traffic and generate visitors. But if you are you know, a store that's, that's doing a little better, that, that, or it's been around a little longer and you've got a little traction, this is another avenue, another channel, of, um, another channel to, to get out in front of that you might not think of that, that works really well. You know, you can, you can get referrals. There's, there's PR agencies all over the country. Um, in New York City, we have a lot of really good ones. So, and so I guess kind of like in the internet marketing world, there's a whole thing with PR web, right? Where it's kind of like these blasted press releases. How does that compare to, say, actually hiring someone to do your PR? Just kind of a breakdown of that. Okay, so PR web is that actually, they were geniuses and they won the, the, press, the online press release war. And the way that they did that uh, was really interesting. They, um, they have their own blog network, right? So it turns out that all these PR companies syndicate through one channel. Like when you, release a, uh, when you release a press release through PR web or Newswire or any of these other ones, PR Leap, it goes out to all these sort of local you know, uh, abc.houston.com, all these sort of local news places. And then a, and a few of them have connections to like Yahoo News or San Francisco Chronicle or Houston Chronicle. And so you're basically getting this um, press release or this content syndicated out to a bunch of these different authoritative news sites. And that drives links and, and page rank and, and authority back to your site. And it doesn't, you know, yes, you might get a little bit of traffic from it, but it's really, for the most part, there's not anyone reading those press releases that you put out. There's not actual user interaction for the most part, unless one really takes, it's more of an SEO type benefit. And the way that PR Web sort of won this battle is they, they realized that SEOs like me were looking at how many pickups did my press release get? How many different places was my press release picked up to? Because that I wanted to know how many links did I get for an SEO benefit because my whole sole purpose of doing press releases was for search engine optimization. And so when they realized that, they created their own blog network and they syndicate the press release out through these news networks where everyone else does and also out to their own blog network. And so when you syndicated through PR web, you got a million more pickups than anywhere else and you were like, wow, these folks are really good or my headline was really good in this press release. So, you know, press releases, online press releases, in my opinion, they're great for SEO and they work and they're cool, but it's not engaging an audience. You're not actually getting real people to consume your information. And I mean, yes, if it ranks for a keyword, you get people to find it that way, but it's, it's an SEO benefit. It's not a community engagement tool. It's, it doesn't work the same way traditional press works where someone is reading a magazine article about you while they're on the train, you know? Mm-hmm. And so where does like a hiring a PR agent come into play? Like how, what value do they add for someone who's never hired one before? You know, you got to find a good one and, and you probably want to interview a couple of them and say, hey, you know, where can you, where can you get me picked up or where can you have, you know, how do you have access to, to uh, channels, right? Because what a PR agent's going to do is they're going to say, okay, now there's a lot of digital PR agencies these days, which help you with things like guest blogging. So they'll be like, oh, this blog has... 300,000 readers a month who are all your target demographic. And what we'll do, we'll get them to agree to post an article and an interview with you all about your products on their blog. So that's digital press. And that's sort of up and coming since now there's there's a bunch of blogs that have uh, user bases who want to monetize their user bases or get messages out in front of their user bases. So hiring a PR agent before you hire the press agent 
you know, before you just pay them money, say, hey, look, here's my line of products. Here's my message. Here's my brand. Where can you get me seen? Are you going to get me on into magazines? Are you going to get me on morning shows? Are you going to get me in front of blog audiences? Like what audiences can you actually get me in front of? And what statistics do you have from past clients that back up the fact that you're going to get me in front of the, these audiences? Okay, we've agreed on this, this deal. I want to do a two-month test with you. And after two months, like I won't si- don't sign a contract for you know six months or eight months. Like you know, give, do a month to month so that you can really see the performance and say and, and you know see where they're getting you syndicated and see where they're getting you picked up um, before you commit to that agent. All right. So so let's move on to a little bit about uh, offline marketing since you know your demographic is really watching kind of like the daily news, uh, you know, morning time shows. You know, how do you really take it to the next level and meet them offline in a face to face environment? You know, that's a good question. And and what's cool about offline and face-to-face is that we now have a channel online for that as well. We have a channel online for gathering people and getting agreement to meet offline. And that's called meetup.com and Facebook events. So what you do, and the cool thing is, is like, so what you do is you create a meetup group and you create a face. So on your Facebook page, you create an event that says, hey, you know, we're gathering in this city at this time to talk about these subjects. And then what you could do is you can advertise that event out on Facebook to people who live in that area who are interested or in your target demographic. And you do the same thing on Meetup. You can't advertise on Meetup, but you can create your Meetup group. And the cool thing is, is that you become, like I was saying earlier, the catalyst for gathering this community of people. You email out to all your customers who live in that area. You get them there face to face. You talk to them. Here's then the way that you structure your events is the first hour of the event of the event is you talking about for us, you know, menopause or pro-aging or whatever the concepts and, and ideas related to your product line are. If it's fishing, how to you know, cast a reel better, whatever that is. And then for the next hour, what you do is you let them hang out. You've given them context to communicate with each other. You've given them a bunch of ideas by having the first hour of your event be, be uh, content. And then once they're networking and hanging out, now they have stuff to talk about. And I think that it's really, really easy to put together live events. People don't realize how easy it is. You just throw up an event page on Meetup. You throw up an event page on Facebook. You drive some traffic to it by inviting all your friends and maybe putting up a Facebook ad. And then you get people together. And when you get people together, you, cr- you create content for yourself. You videotape them, you know, interviewing them, getting testimonials, talking about your store, talking about your community. You get face-to-face, real-world uh, feedback on what you're doing and what people want. And it's just like a really, really cool way to get get more into your business and get more in-depth in what's going on. And you become the authority. What happens is, is when, you're, when you're the reason people gather, you're immediately considered the expert or the authority in that in that group of people, you know, and you'll make a bunch of sales at the back of the room for your product. You'll get people telling your friends. And the key with gathering people is consistency. You have to gather them. It's not good to just do a one-off event. I mean, it's fine. It's better than nothing. But the key is to do an event every month because what happens is it grows. People start telling their friends and all of a sudden, next thing you know, you're filling a room with 300 people, 400 people. And I'll tell you what, you can do a lot with 400 people. You know, that's, that's a big mass movement of people. There's a lot of power with 400 people share, you know, on coming to your event, taking pictures of it, sharing it on Facebook. And then all those people going back to your site and buying, like it just grows the value of your business because now you've taken this online community that you've created and you translated it into the real world. And people who hang out online or hang out in forums or who comment on your Facebook page love meeting each other in person. So it's just another way that you can add value to your community and another way that you 
you can get more feedback on what's going on and what you should be talking about and what products you should add and that kind of stuff. Yeah, this is something I like to bring up too because I think offline is way underrated and it's not utilized enough because a lot of people, I think, especially our generation, we kind of grew up online and a lot of our interactions are online. And you tend to think that kind of online is a separate world and offline is a separate world. And really, in the end, you're still dealing with people. So whatever works online is just more efficient in a good way or bad way through the internet because the internet just makes everything more efficient, right? Like, because we could be having this conversation face-to-face, but I have to fly to New York and we would have to meet somewhere, whereas we're just on Skype now too. Exactly, exactly. It's just, it's another channel. It's a channel that people ignore, but it's a really, really good one. Yeah, all right. And so, so when you set up these events, uh, kind of what's the format? Do you just meet at like a bar or you're renting out a space or kind of what are the logis- logistics of it? Yeah, there's a bunch of ways to do it. And the way that I like to do it is I like to go, you know, there's a couple different things you can do. You can find companies. If you live in New York City, there's a bunch of companies who have these giant boardrooms who like want to make a little extra money. You say, hey, I'll give you a hundred bucks if you let me use your boardroom tonight, you know, and so you get this really nice room. There's also places that like everywhere, every city, every town has some kind of community rec hall or meetup or hall. Like there's these sort of community spaces that are like 35 bucks an hour. Like it's not hard to find uh, an event space. I don't like to do it at a bar because I don't like loud music and I like I like loud music, but I want to be able to talk to people. I want to be able to, you know, to communicate with them. I don't want, you know, music blaring and people super drunk. And of course you want to have food and you want to have drinks and you want to like feed and water people, as I say, you know, you want to like make them feel good, but um, it's not hard to find a space. It's super easy. And, you know, if you live in a rural area, you could do it in your backyard. It doesn't have to be out somewhere. And, you know, you feed them. And I like to, like I said, I make the first uh, portion of the meeting uh, a content portion so that everyone has context for something to talk about. And then I make sure that I've got, you know, someone there to video it, someone there to photograph it so that I can post it on Facebook, post the video on Facebook. And it's really not a difficult thing. Just think about if you're going to throw a party, what do you want? You want some food, you want some wine, you want some pictures taken, you know, you want some people there to talk to. Like, it's kind of just like a a party. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And so one of the kind of side things that this ties into is that when you, when you start getting people coming to your events, 300, 400 people, you know, how do you do the CRM aspect of it? And, you know, in terms of keeping in touch with everyone and kind of just databasing all this, all these contacts you're making. Yeah, well, what happens is, of course, you're, you're using some sort of a shopping cart for your, you know, t- I'm charging for these tickets, right? These tickets are not, you can't just come to this thing for free. You've got to invest something. People place more value on things they invest in. So it's 25 bucks a ticket or 35 bucks a ticket or whatever. And if you're using, you could use your own e-commerce cart for this. You could use whatever your CRM is. In our case, for our events, we're using um, Office Autopilot uh, hooked up with Nanacast as our shopping cart. So people buy the ticket, they get thrown into Office Autopilot, they get tagged as someone who's come to a live event. And then we just blast them out with emails, you know, hey, the event's happening this time, don't forget about this, take this survey for us, that kind of stuff. So it's just, you know, everyone on here, basic, we're using internet marketing strategies, online marketing strategies, e-commerce strategies to communicate with and keep in contact. It's not like we're just, you know, writing these people down by hand. It's it's all handled through a back-end database. All right. And so for those who may not know what Office Autopilot is or Nanocast, can you just go over those real quick? Sure. Office Autopilot is a... Um, Actually, it's 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 a whole lot more than just an email management tool. It's a it's a it's a marketing automation tool, and what it, it does cool stuff like the email marketing 1.0 was like you have a group, you know, you you add emails to a list, and then you email those people. Email marketing 2.0 was like you're able to segment them, and you're able to say, well, these people came from my e-commerce store, and these people came from a live event, and these people came from Facebook, and you could like segment 
the different groups of your contacts and then communicate with them more specifically, which was much nicer because you don't want to be emailing your live event people who live in New York about your website because maybe they're not interested in that. Like You want to be able to communicate with your groups of people about what they're interested in. Email marketing 3.0, you can have the email system trigger actions based on actions the user takes. So for example, if a user opens an email and clicks a link, that can just them clicking that link in the email can trigger some other action like a, a secondary email going out or a postcard going out or you know someone buys a product and it tri- you know you can trigger these these actions based on stuff that the users have done if they enter their email address it triggers a whole bunch of things if they don't open an email you can have that trigger in action so it's uh, that's office autopilot it's a really cool email marketing automation tool and uh, you can find it at uh, it's actually changing the name to entreport uh, but if you just go to officeautopilot.com, there's a bunch of training videos on how to use that. And Nanacast is just a shopping cart platform. It's, you know, it's not an e-commerce platform. It's not used. It doesn't have the sort of CRM uh, backend database that you need for uh, to do an e-commerce store. But it's great if you're selling tickets or if you're selling info products or if you need to do upsells, which is basically right after someone buys something, you make them an additional offer. It's got some of these features that um, an internet marketing style shopping cart has. Uh, so basically, the CRM gets managed through the Office Autopilot and the whole lead scoring system it has, basically, right? Exactly. I see. And so, oh, okay, that, that makes sense. Because in the end, you just really want people on your email list, too, instead of like some database with their phone number, office extension. That's really kind of pointless in terms of really extrapolating that data into something valuable, right? Totally. And, you know, the thing about it, guys, is that, you know, e-commerce store owners make this mistake all the time. You need to be in constant contact with your community. If you go three weeks without talking to them about something, they're kind of forgetting about you. So, yes, you're not going to hold a sale every three weeks. Yes, you're not going to sell them a product every three weeks, but you could send them a video. You could send them a video about one of your products. You could send them a testimonial for one of your customers. You could send them, you know, you should be in uh, constant communication with your community of people um, as much as you can. And you can you know, it, it'll really help your sales. What we've found is since we've been doing this video blogging, since we've been in weekly contact, like our, when we do have a sale, our numbers are through the roof just because people are so used to seeing us. They're like, oh, you want me to, you know, so when we make an offer, they take us up on it because we're a part of their daily lives. And it keeps the whole relationship warm too. So how did you kind of um, come up with the idea to do video marketing and to really stay in touch with your customer on kind of on a weekly basis? You know, I, I just thought we have this community of people. And this was before I knew about Shramco's uh, own the race course strategy or any of these other sort of video blogging strategies. But I just knew that we've got this group of people and it sort of makes sense that you want to keep in touch with your community, particularly if you're building a community like we are, which is really a strong, tight-knit group of people. And so we just decided, hey, let's give it a shot. Let's do a video a week for four weeks and let's just see how they respond to it. And the response we got was so overwhelming that we realized we can never stop this. It's working so well. So it just kind of was an idea that ended up working really, really well that we then learned how to leverage even better by taking that video and syndicating it out to a bunch of different channels, posting it on Facebook, Google Plusing it, having it transcribed and put onto our blog, you know, pinning it to Pinterest, like putting it out to all these different channels, um, which we learned from a guy called James Shremko, who I think you've had on your podcast in his um, Own the Race course uh, training program. Yeah. And so, are most of your videos just done on the iPhone or what kind of equipment are you guys using? For, okay, for my own businesses, I do these all these fancy, you know, highly produced videos with, you know, Rode NTG microphones and DSLR cameras and all this editing and stuff. The videos that we do for Boom are literally Cindy sitting in front of a Mac laptop 
with no microphone but the computer microphone, just talking face to camera. They're like the most underproduced videos you have ever seen in your life. And people love them. They're like, oh, I feel like I'm sitting in your living room with you. It feels like I'm just chatting with a friend. Like, I think that nowadays so many videos are so highly produced that just a normal face to camera video, people don't see it as much and they're just going nuts for it. So it's having me reconsider how I produce videos because it's a lot easier to just flip on the camera and start talking. Like it's just, you know, there's no fancy lighting. It's, it kind of coincides with the messaging we have, which is that you don't have to like hide yourself or you don't have to make yourself look like something you're not. Just, you know, you're fine just the way you are. And we're going to show that by Cindy's just going to flip on the camera. She's not going to put on makeup. She's not going to do her hair. She's going to say, hey guys, this is me in all my glory and I want to talk to you. And so it's, it's, it's working really well for us. Yeah, I think it's because it's really easy to hide on the internet and everyone can hide behind a username, you know, a couple of letters. Whereas if you do a video just with your phone or your MacBook with no editing, you know, it's a very honest thing to put yourself out there like that. And I think people appreciate that in this day and age. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. And, and so since we're on, um, you know, video marketing and kind of some other things we touched about, which channel have you found really works and converts the best in terms of like uh, your marketing efforts? Sure, sure. And then I've got some really, really ninja conversion strategies for our, for our listeners here too that I want to do. Um, the channel that works the best for us is absolutely Facebook. And that's a weird thing to say. Most people don't say, you know, Facebook is our best channel. Most people can't figure out how to convert from social media. Now, the cool thing about us is that we, we've built up such a brand. We've built up such a um, community that like 60% of our traffic is returning visitors. And some, I don't have the statistics in front of me, but like more than half of our traffic is direct. So people typing in our brand name into Google or our URL under their address bar. So we've got like most of our traffic is coming from people who know about our brand and are going straight to it. But the traffic that's not, the traffic that's coming from channels like Facebook or Pinterest or Google for other keyword tools, like if you, if you look at all those different channels and you look at which one's the best, far and away, um, our Facebook community is driving the bulk of our additional sales. And can you just buy products straight on your Facebook page or how does the whole layout and the conversions work from Facebook to your store? You know, we don't have that set up yet. It's been something that's been on my list for a long time, you know, put the products on Facebook. Um, there's a whole bunch of things I need to do, but we don't have that on Facebook yet. So people just go, you know, we've got links in, uh, underneath all of our videos and we've got links right at the top. People just click right over to our website. And it's like, you know, the thing is all these different conversion strategies that I'm going to share are really, really good. But if you've built a rabid community of fans who want to buy your stuff, they don't mind taking an extra click to get to your website to buy your products. Like our conversion rate on this store is five and a half percent, which is higher than any store that I have right now. And it's because of, of how strong our community is. When people come, they're looking to buy stuff. Like they want our products and they're willing to do what it takes to get through it. Our, our, our checkout process is not optimized the way all my other stores checkout process is optimized. And I'm, I'm having this dilemma, this dilemma of, you know, hey, do I make this more internet marketing? Do I make it more salesy? Or do I just kind of leave it as this store that's not, you know, that, that it's, I don't know if it's going to help or not. I think it might actually, I think it might actually help us that we don't have this, like these giant red order buttons and that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. I think it's interesting because I get the feeling that you have a community that just happens to have an online store. Whereas if you did the reverse, it's, it wouldn't work the same way, I think. Yeah, exactly. I think if we, if we just had the store and we hadn't built up the community and we were just like, we've got these products. I don't think we would be, um, I think this is this is really driving home the fact that in the next five years, community-based uh, platforms, community-based e-commerce stores, community-based businesses are really where we're heading, and it's really how you um, so, like 
protect yourself from these channels. You know, if your Facebook accounts get shut down, if your Google rankings go away, if your AdWords account gets slapped, well, you've got a community of people who half of the half of the people buying your stuff are typing your URL directly into their address bar. Yeah, and I think it's a big mentality shift, not just to treat people as ATM machine, but really treating them as a person, resonating with them, and just you know connecting with them as a human being. And that, yeah, exactly. And that's what it's all about. It's about how can you add value to this person's life, and and how can you communicate how your product adds value to their life. You know, if it, yes, people are gonna you know people are gonna buy these products. People want products, and you've got them to sell. But what can you add to them beyond the product itself? How can you you know can you bundle it with something else? Can you give them a tutorial on how to use it? Can you talk to them about why you know like. What, what else can you offer this person besides just the product? Yeah, and as humans, we're all social creatures. Right? We always seek out communities, you know, friendships, relationships, uh, stuff like that. So it's basically, you know, it's something basic that we're seeking. It's just online now, and you can find anything you want, whether it be, you know, like odd fetishes with, like, butt plugs or, you know, whatever, right? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> That's right. There was a video, yeah, the video from, uh, from Anne-Marie about that. She's got, like, 80,000 views on that. And this is the, all the stuff I talk about on smartmarketer.com, which is my website. Um, I talk... This is, like... These are the conversations that we're having. I love, I love that this is where we're going as entrepreneurs and business people. Uh, we're moving in the direction of less of how can I just put up a business and sell some stuff and more of how can I add value to my community. Yeah, and I think, you know, just to go off on another tangent, Seth Godin really said the best. He says, you know, you know, it's not can it be made, it's should it be made right now, right, in this day and age. Exactly, yeah, it's startup school. If you're not listening to that podcast, it's a good one. Let's talk about your platform a little bit because we, we always like to talk about the technical stuff a little bit. So what platform, e-commerce platform are you guys on right now? Um, we're on a, a custom-built e-commerce platform. It was hand-coded from scratch. Uh, it's not one, you know, there, there's a million platforms out there from Big Commerce to Shopify to Volusion to ShopSite to Xcart to Magento. Like, there's a million platforms out there. And, and when we were starting this store up, you know, none of them had the, um, none of them had what we needed. And so we went with this custom platform, which we're now switching to a, a platform called PDG shopping cart, which is QuickBooks. It's actually QuickBooks' uh, shopping cart, the, the one that they integrates right with QuickBooks for our accounting and all this stuff. And, you know, here's the thing, guys. Platforms really don't matter in, in my experience. Every platform has its ups. Every platform has its downs. But every platform can collect sales. And that's all you need. Yeah, it's nice if you can, you know, customize the checkout process. It's nice if you can do a couple of these other things. But what I've found is you can work with pretty much any platform out there to do what you need. And I know, uh, I, you know, I'm in the e-commerce world. I talk to e-commerce merchants. I train e-commerce merchants and people who have e-commerce business on how to get better converting stores and things like that. And, you know, there's people with seven-figure, eight-figure, six-figure stores on every platform you can think of. And so I think that, you know, yeah, we're on, we're on a custom-built platform and we're moving it to this other funky QuickBooks platform, but it's not stopping us from doing big volume. You know, platforms are, um, you shouldn't be uh, constrained by your platform. Whatever you're on, you're going to be fine. Yeah, and I think getting stuck on a platform is really hiding from as the fear of the bigger problem that you have to face, right, is whether your product would actually sell and will it resonate with your market, which is kind of what we discussed a lot earlier. And that's really the heavy lifting you kind of have to do up front too. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. All right, and so let's move into conversions a little bit. So, uh, you know, you come from an internet marketing background. You're obviously very, very numbers-driven. So let's just jump into this. Like, you know, what do you got for us? Sure. So um, conversion is big. If you can get two people to buy, if you've got 100 people who visit your store and one of them purchases, that's a 1% conversion rate. If you can double that to 2%, so two out of every 100 people who visit your store buy something, you've now doubled your business. 
you've doubled your business. And so the cool thing about e-commerce is that there's not much, you know, there's, there's not a whole lot to, uh, to track. Really, your goal with e-commerce is the flow of your store. You want to get people who land on your section page over to your product page. You want to get people who land on your product page over to your shopping cart. So the goal for e-commerce is to move people through your flow. So if you're not tracking analytics goal flows in e-commerce, and if you've got questions on how to set up goal flow, or if you want images of what I track and all that stuff, you can email me. I'd be happy to share with you my whole analytics system for tracking e-commerce. But, but the goal is to get people through your store. And um, so you should definitely be tracking goal flow. And it's hard to show without images. But goal flow is huge. You want to track how to get people from your section to your product, product to your cart, cart to your billing, billing to checkout, and the different elements that make that happen. The next thing that's really, really important to track is your website search. And if you look at Amazon or you look at uh, Zappos or you look at eBay, one thing that you'll notice is that there's a giant search box up the top of their header. And I figured this out myself because I had a store where I, you know, I was tracking the site search and I could see that 2% of visitors were searching, but 10% of my revenue was coming from those 2% of visitors. And I thought, wow, I can get people to search, I'll make more money. And so I put, I did what Amazon's doing. I did what Zappos is doing. And I put this giant search bar right up the top of my, of my, um, a website. And, it, and I jumped up from the number of people searching to two, from 2% to 5%. And guess how much of my revenue is coming from those 5% of visitors? I guess 30%. No, not quite 30, but 26%, 26% wow. of my <laughs> That 5% of visitors, and I got screenshots you know, for this and stuff that we can't show on a podcast, but if you guys email me, I'll show you it. Um, and, so, and now what we're testing is this thing where the search bar uh, scrolls with you as you go down. Like, so if you're, scroll, if you're on the page and you're scrolling down, that search bar is following you because we want you to search. We want to encourage searches. So give yourself a really big, nice search bar. Now, so it stays on top, kind of above the fold on the top of the browser is that what you mean exactly it stays it stays with you so even if you're scrolling down no matter where you are on the page the search bar is fixed and it's just rolling with you all right and so before before we get into this let's just go into back up a little bit into goal flow so so if i'm understanding this are right, you basically wanting to track uh, are you tracking clicks or how are you tracking actual the flow kind of what's the methodology behind that yeah, there, so I'm actually not the – I just know what I need to track, and I've got an analytics person who sets this all up for me who I happily refer to anyone who's listening to this. And basically what he's able to track is the number of people who land on my section page that make it through to a product. And that's, a, that's one goal. So, so all the people who enter a section page, he's ID'd in analytics. He's ID'd all the section pages, and he's ID'd all the product pages. And when people land on a section, he's counting the number that, that land on that section that make it through to a product page. That's one goal. We're looking at, at that percentage, and then we're making tweaks to the section pages and saying, oh, did, did having – now check this out. We noticed that when we put four items across the top of a section page instead of three – it gave us a nice boost in the number of people that made it through to a product page. So things like that, like how many products do you have listed across your page? Are you displaying the, the retail price and the sale price and the percentage they're being saved? Like there's different elements that you can test on your section page. And what you're testing is what is, what is, what is increasing the percentage that moves through to a product page? That's what I mean by goal flow. And then same thing on the product page, you know, does, does the different colored add to cart button um, have people move from my product page to my shopping cart? Does having a left navigation hinder the, the number of people who move from my product page to my shopping cart? And I'll tell you, I've got a whole list here of things you can put on that's, that, that we've found as proven um, conversion uh, winners that help people move through. Mm. And, and so just to refresh 
Goldflugin is so you basically get a baseline from whatever you start to finish, which is the end, is the checkout, and then you can tweak everything in the middle to see how it changes in the end, right? Exactly, because and 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 it multiplies as you go. Because I'll just give you examples right now from from a store that I'm looking at currently. Um, so we've got we had sixty two thousand people visit one visit a product page in this two week period or whatever this is, and fourteen thousand of them made it to the shopping cart. So so of the sixty two thousand that visited our product page, fourteen thousand actually clicked add to cart. That's twenty three percent of the people who visited that page clicked add to cart. Now, if we can, if you go down all the way, all the way down, we ended up with, of those 62,000 people, 6,000 of them actually purchased something, which is, you know, 10% or something like that. So we had 10% of the people who ended up on the product page actually purchased something in the end. But if we can, if we can just bump up the number, if we can just get, instead of 14,000 people making it through to the shopping cart, if we can get 30,000 people, like if we can get... The, the num- if we can move that number up at the top level of that conversion uh, funnel, if we can get double the amount of people to make it from the product page to the shopping cart, we're going to get double the amount of sale. So you need to increase these metrics by a little bit. You only need, like If you can just increase the number of people who go from your section page to your product page, that's going to have a significant multiplier on your sales down at the bottom of that funnel. Hmm. And would it make sense to tweak the bottom of the funnel first or the top in your experience? In our experience, we like starting from the top. You know, the bottom of the funnel is like your least, you get, it's your least number of people to play with. You've only got, you know, 8,000 people at your checkout page, but you got 62,000 up at your product page. So it makes a lot more, you can have a bigger effect by, you know, obviously you want to do everything, but it's better to, to get more people into your funnel than working on having more people finish your funnel. So we, we start top up and we, and we work on getting people from section to product, product to, you know, product to cart cart to check out that's interesting because i guess another way to think about because you would think that people are close to checking out by fixing those those would be a quick win but whereas if you had really the multiplier effect on the top that really comes out better too and your is, is what you're saying right yeah because in order to get check this out in order to get from five sales to 10 sales at the bottom you would need to double your store's conversion rate right if you were if you would need to double if you would need to double the number of people who who actually bought something, but all you need to do at the top of that funnel to get that same multiplier effect is just double the number of people who make it from one page to the next, which is a lot easier to do. You have a much stronger effect by having these smaller by Im, Im, improving these smaller actions than you do on improving people just buying from you. Uh, awesome. All right, that's fascinating. I think I think I don't think we can get more clear than that. So <laughs> that's awesome. All right. Yeah, it's a little, you know, it's a little ethereal. It's it's hard to explain without images in front of you. So, you know, if you, I, I, I can send an email out that people can see. Yeah, yeah, it makes a ton of sense. All right, so let's move on to a little bit more about the website search you tackled. So, how did you come up with this search thing to put on your website to make it bigger? Well, what I noted, I mean, I'm tracking site search, right? And I want, I want to cover all these different elements that I'm tracking, but I'm tracking site search because I think it's really important to know what the people who are coming to your website are searching for. What we find all the time is that like people are searching for stuff that we don't even have, like random things that are like related to our product line. And we're like, dang, we got, we had 50 searches for a bald cap. We don't have a bald cap. We need to add one of those, you know? So I think it's really important to track your site search just to know how many people are, you know, what people are looking for. And then once, and then the other thing is that you can see when you're tracking site search, what percentage of the searchers buy. And when we noticed that 10% of our revenue was coming from 2% of our visitors, we thought, well, gosh, 
we ought to make make so that make it so that more people search because people who search, you know, it's sort of like Robert Cialdini. You know, you get them. It's it's you know the uh, commitment and consistency principle where if you get someone to take one action, they kind of just are they've already committed. They take more action. So you get someone to search. They're like once they find what they're looking for, if they find what they're looking for, they tend to buy it more often. You know, so. Um, I mean, intuitively it works because if you're on Google searching, you may or may not want to buy, but if you're actually on an e-commerce platform where you, where you actually buy stuff is the end goal and you're searching on it, it kind of makes sense that you're already ready to do something. You just can't find it yet. Exactly. And if you look at, I mean, obviously Zappos and Amazon, all these people have figured it out because they've got giant search boxes up at the top of their sites. Like they know they've tested this themselves. And so, you know, we just got some, uh, you know, we figured it out and then we went and looked and we were like, oh, you know, because good, good to watch. I'll tell you who else you guys want to watch as far as e-commerce goes. And I'm going to list these conversion elements for you now, but crateandbarrel.com. Crate and Barrel are some ninjas. You wouldn't expect it, but if you want to, if you want to look at good e-commerce, you want to look at some people who are really rocking e-commerce out. Watch what Crate and Barrel are doing. Those guys are really wicked smart, and they're doing a lot of these things that I'm talking about here. Um, they're just really, really. They've got really strong e-commerce conversion, and and whoever's running Crate and Barrel, I salute you. Let me go through um, real quick all the, all these different conversion elements. Okay, so this is for all the pages, right? Every page on your site. And I'm going to go through each individual page and its own conversion elements. Your header is really big for your conversion, right? What's in the header of your website can really increase the conversion rate of your site. So you want a really big search box. You want a guarantee of some kind. You want your contact information. You want a security in, uh, symbol of some kind. You want some kind of an offer or free shipping or some kind of a benefit. You want your more information pages like your about us, your contact us, all that stuff. And you want um, live chat. If you can fit all those things into your header and keep in mind that the eye only sees there's something called the foveal view the eye only sees one little part of the page at a time so you want each of these elements in their own different spots like go to zappos.com look at how they've done this they've got all these elements in their header they've got a double header where they got the phone number on the left they've got all their more information more information on the pages on the right and then they've got you know their logo their search box their benefits their shopping cart and they've got it all in its own little individual sort of box i mean it's not outlined as a box but you can see it's an individual element on the header page so uh, put all those elements in your header and you'll see a really big bump if you're not already doing that. Now, you definitely want to have video FAQs and video customer service. Uh, so like if you go to your contact page, you go to your About Us page, put a video on there talking about who you are. Put a video answering the most frequently asked questions and put those videos on your product pages. Video sells and video, FA, video FAQ pages, video contact pages, video shipping information pages will give you a giant bump in conversion. Do videos for each of those pages. On all the pages of your site, you want randomly displayed testimonials. You want randomly displayed best-selling items. You put them in the sidebar. Those will give you a nice little bump. So that's for all pages. Now here's some other things for all pages. If you can do incentivized time constraints, this is a huge one. There's a company called Exclusive Concepts, exclusiveconcepts.com, and they've got a um, plugin called Time to Buy, and it works with every card out there. I mean, not every card, but it works with a bunch of them. And what it'll do is you can set it so that when someone's visited three pages or when someone's been on the site a minute, it'll pop up a little thing and it'll say, hey, if you check out within 10 minutes, we'll give you 5% off. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Dude, it works so well. Incentivized time constraint, and it just crushes. You get so many people who are like, oh, gosh, I mean, I was thinking about buying this. I wasn't going to do it till tomorrow, but I'm going to do it right now. And it just gets you a little extra percentage there. You want a daily deal bar, and uh, you know those are easy to include. Exclusive Concept also has one of those. So that's for... Um, that's for uh, site-wide stuff. Now your home page. Here's some home page elements. You definitely want a main banner, right? You know, you you know, I've been testing lately. You know, every 
got the big main banner image at the top of their homepage with three little uh, images for their sections. And I've been testing that against just listing products on the homepage. And in some markets, just listing products wins. But in most markets, having that banner rotator with the three kickers is always winning. You want to have tabbed featured products based on categories. Go to a website called sinfullysweet.com, S-I-N-F-U-L-L-Y-S-W-E-E-T.com, sinfullysweet.com. Look at their home. They've tabbed pro- they've got their best-selling products for each category, and then they've got tabs of each of those categories right at the top of the homepage. This is a really, really good method for conversion. And what you can do is you test this based on analytics. If you go in your Google Analytics account and you look at, you know, you can you can look at in-page analytics and see what products are being clicked on the most, what sections are being clicked on the most, and then you put those front and center because you know those are the ones that are most popular. I'm going through this fast. One thing about your homepage is that rich homepages always win. Images, videos, testimonials, hello from the owner, FAQs, all that stuff. Put all that stuff on your homepage. The richer your homepage is, the better your conversion is going to be. Look at Crate and Barrel. Look at Zappos. Look at Amazon. Look at how rich those homepages are. Okay, so moving on to the section page. And you got questions on that, Terry, or it's cool if I No, just keep going. I'm just, yeah, just go through it. <laughs> page, you want to test having multiple more items across, right? We're finding in some markets that five items across the section page is converting better. You want to have underneath each item the price, the sale price, the amount they save, which is the difference between the two. Every product on your store should be on sale all the time. Just put them all on sale. So basically have one price that's a retail price and then have another price that you're selling it for and you will get a big bump in, 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 in uh, conversions. Have the amount that they're savings. Let's say the, the retail price is 150 and your price is 125 Well, then they save 25 bucks, and then have the percentage that they save as well. So it would say retail price, 150 Sale price, 125 You save $25. Percentage you save, 15% or whatever that percentage is, and have that listed underneath the product. You want to have a quick view option. If you go to Crate and Barrel and you scroll over a product, there's a little thing that pops up that says quick view. If you click on it, it pops the product up in a little light box window that allows you to view that product without actually leaving the section page, which gives people the opportunity to just click out of that and stay on your section and browse more products rather than having to go over to the product page and then back to the section page. Uh, Big Commerce, all these other platforms have quick view built in. You want to have a featured item or a bundle or a deal right at the top of the section. So you you know one product that's in a big giant box that's featured that says, hey, this is our featured product in this category and you know and whatever. So you want to put that right up at the top of the section page because you'll get um you'll get a lot more sales that way uh, of that product. You'll be surprised how many people buy that featured product while they're on your site. Wow. So it's interesting you put stuff on sale just because so it looks like it's on sale and then you also add a time element to that. And that's a big driver together, right? You're like, if I buy it now, I'm already getting something on sale. And it's like it makes things like, oh I I gotta buy right now. Internet marketing principles, including scarcity, and it's like not these aren't like shady things to do, right? Because they should be on sale. Like people like to buy stuff on sale, and you want to make sure that you've got competitive prices. You don't want to just be like charge. You know, you want to make sure you're not going to always be able to compete on price. And I don't like trying to compete on price. I like to have more expensive products than most people because you know if you add enough value to the customer, they don't mind paying a few extra dollars. But it's just important to let people know that hey, you know, we. We're, you, you just want to have your stuff on sale. It just it adds, you're going to make so many more sales. You're going to be able to touch so many more customers' lives just by having that little thing that says, hey, we've got this on sale this month. Yeah, and, and I like how it's not, like sales isn't really slamming people on the head and saying buy now. It's kind of like what Shremko says, right? you just set people up in the right situation and then they decide to take the action, whatever it is. So Exactly. So let's move to the product page because I got like 15 things for the product page. So product pages, if you, can, if you possibly can, Get rid of your left navigation. Go to Zappos right now. 
Go to Amazon right now. Look at the look at an individual product page. There is no static left navigation on that page. The reason why is it gives you more room to talk about how cool your product is. They don't need that left navigation when they're on the product page. If you can possibly get rid of it, it'll bump your conversions. Tab it up. I like to say tab it up. What I mean by that is have multiple tabs. Don't just have a giant long page full of content about the product. Have the description in one tab. Have your shipping information and your FAQ video in another tab. Have the product details in another tab. Like have multiple tabs of information for each product. You definitely want to have social buttons on there. You definitely want to have zoom over the images. You definitely want to have reviews of the product so people can review it. And you want your add to cart button above the fold for sure. You want cross sells on every single product page. You should have a cross sell that's store wide. For example, if you're selling Halloween costumes, um, one cross sell that might be relevant store wide is some kind of a hat or some kind of party supplies or like whatever it is. Like if you're selling, um, you know, uh, wall hangings or if you're selling curtains, well, one cross sell that would work store wide would be rods that help you hang those things. So whatever the pot, like what you'll find is that 50 to 60% of the people who are buying your product, if there's a cross sell right on that page that says, hey, this goes perfectly with your product, you'll pick up a bunch of extra sales just from having that cross sell on there. So really good to have cross sells on your page. You should always include them. Q&A. This is huge. There's a, there's a plugin. I don't remember the company that does it, but you can look for it. Q&A plugin and what that, uh, for, for whatever your platform is. And it allows people to ask questions right on the product page. It allows you to answer those questions. And then every single user who ever visits that product page in the future can look at that, um, look at that question and answer that you've had. And so it just bumps your conversion up. You want user submitted pictures and videos. If you can, if, if, if this is relevant for your, for your product for your product line, then you want to have the ability for people to upload pictures of themselves using the product videos because just crazy social proof. And people who are, you know, hobbyists or people who are into your products are happy to do that for you. If you send them an email afterward and say, hey, love a picture of you with this product, you can upload it right here on the product page. It like works really well. You want to have you might also like, which means like, hey, you might also like this product. It's kind of another way of doing cross sells. You want to have features and benefits. You want to have your guarantee, your trust logo, and your shipping. So I wish I could show this, but what we did was, and you'll have to email me for this, because I'm happy to show you these examples. What we did was we put um, little images right below the Add to Cart button, like little, we've got the best price, and we've got hassle-free returns, and we've got free shipping, and we've got satisfaction guaranteed. We put those little symbols right below the Add to Cart button, and that gave us a huge bump in the number of people who clicked Add to Cart, because they're going to the Add to Cart, they're looking at it, and then they're like, oh, here's all the reasons these people are cool and these people are nice to buy from, right below the Add to Cart button. Really, really good um, way to get people from your product page over to your cart. You want recently viewed items if you possibly have that plugin with your store which shows people down the bottom of the page other items they just looked at. Keeps them, uh, reminds them of what they already looked at. You want multiple quality images. So if you're just starting out and, you, and you're doing drop shipping and you only have the manufacturer's product images, fine. But as you get bigger and as you make more money, take all the products, shoot your own pictures of them, upload them. The more images you have, the more angles you have, the better. And you want your videos for your top products. So any products that are best sellers that you have on your store, create a video about that product. Show yourself opening the product and using it. It will just give you, it'll skyrocket your conversion. Video for e-commerce is crazy right now. So definitely create videos for any product you possibly can. So let's take a break a little bit because I'm sure everyone that's listening is furiously taking notes now and their hands probably need a break. So, 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 so the takeaway is to look at the big players, right? Like Crate and Barrel, Amazon, Zappos, and you really observe what they're doing in terms of their site design and what kind of tactics they're using because they're really at the front end of conversions and everything e-commerce, right? Absolutely. You know, these people are spending 
millions and millions of dollars a month. On, I mean, who knows, really, actually. Who knows what they're doing as far as testing goes, but uh, it's crazy the what they're testing and, and the conclusions that they're coming to. And, you know, they're the biggest players in the game, and, and, and you know that they're, that they're running split tests consistently. Amazon's the biggest tester on the planet, so you might as well look at what's working for them and then test that out and see how it works for you. I just want to say really quickly, don't take my word as gospel. Sure, I'm, I'm having great success, and I can help you have great success too, but like, test all this stuff yourself. You know, Take all these ideas, put them in your store, and see what happens. Do you have any more tips for us before we run out of paper to write on her? <laughs> so we got uh, your checkout page. Now, this is huge. People never, a lot of people don't have congruency from their, checkout to their, from their product to their checkout. A lot of people will go, when you click add to cart, it takes you to a page that has like a completely different background or doesn't look the same. Like You want congruency across your checkout. Your checkout should look just like your, 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 your website does, uh, just with the products in it. So um, if you can figure out a way to have congruency across your checkout, you get a huge bump in conversions. You want a progress bar up at the top of your checkout page that says, this is step one, next is step two, so people know where they are. You want a shipping calculator, right? Because when you click add to cart, you don't take them right to the page where they can purchase. You take them to a page that says, hey, this is in your shopping cart. Would you like to continue to the checkout page? So on that um, shopping cart page that displays what they have in their cart, you want a shipping calculator because people want to know how much it's going to cost them to shipping uh, to use shipping. And you want to include the image and the price and all the details about the product on that page. A lot of people, uh, when you click add to cart, it doesn't bring, like it just says, here's how much your cart is, but it doesn't have the image of the product, doesn't have all that stuff in there. It's important to, to keep your, you know, your checkout page with all the information of what's in their cart. And also you want to have your phone number, you want to have a guarantee, you want to have like a trust symbol, you want to have all this stuff on your, on your checkout page um, to make sure that you know, people, are, people feel comfortable in your shopping cart. And then the other thing is once they click over to checkout, like once, once they go from their checkout page, so they went from, they, they, they clicked add to cart, it took them into their, their, their shopping cart where it's like, this is in your cart, you can continue to checkout or you can continue to shop. When they click continue to checkout, that should take them to a page where they can include, they can do everything from that page, shipping and billing, who it's being, all that stuff. Like it shouldn't, you shouldn't have multiple steps after that. It should be product page. And when they click add to cart, it takes them into the shopping cart that shows them what they have. And then when they click checkout, it takes them to one page where they can buy what, they can finish the transaction on that page. Now it's okay if it's like a big commerce style where it takes them to a page and then like it's got multiple sort of tabs on that page that you fill out, but it's all on that one page that you complete your order. And that's for your checkout. And go, go ahead and go through at Zappos checkout. You'll see how they're doing it, doing it just like that. Go through Crate and Barrel's checkout. So everything you're talking about, is this only possible on like a custom platform? or Because I know Shopify, like that site, it has its own checkout kind of process. I don't know if it's changed, but I mean, since some elements you can't control, do you need to be on a custom platform to do everything you talked about? Oh man, I'm doing this on Yahoo. I'm doing this on ShopSite. I'm doing this on Big Commerce. I don't use Shopify myself. I'm doing this on Volusion. Like all these carts allow you to kind of set that. You know, you know. Obviously, there's certain things that you can't do. You know, there's certain things that you have cart restrictions. But do whatever you can. And and most of these carts uh, understand these best practices and allow you to implement them. Interesting, interesting. All right. And so, what are your thoughts on uh, free shipping? Because I know it's sometimes shipping costs is a make or break thing for a lot of people. You know, if you can include it. Absolutely include it. The way I like to do it is raise the price of my products a little bit and offer free shipping. If you can't, hey, you can't. You know, we got stores where we don't offer free shipping. We've got stores where we do offer free shipping. And you know, uh, there's some statistics that come out that say like 30% of buyers won't buy if you don't have free shipping and all this stuff. I've found that like it depends on your market. You know, if you're in a market where you can offer free shipping and you're not just because you want to make extra money, that's the kind of market where people aren't going to buy from you. But if you're selling furniture, for example, well, look, you know. 
people understand they got to pay for shipping for a bar stool. It's just like, I think it's market dependent. I see. So let's just kind of wrap up a little bit here. So let's go into a little bit about kind of the long term growth and view you have for a boom. So, you know, where do you see this business going in like the next one to two years? I see us like we're, 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 I mean, there is no more Oprah, but that's where we're headed, man. We're going, we're, well, if we have anything to say about it, we'd like to go national with this. You know, we'd like to, um, we'd like to touch as many people's lives as possible. We'd like to communicate with as many women as possible. And, and so I think that, you know, we're moving more towards media, more towards book deals, more towards like, um, that kind of stuff and, and creating a real community and, and, and putting out information rather than just products. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And so, and so what's one mistake you learned, uh, that was kind of a big lesson, you know, uh, there's probably too many to list. Um, I think one of the things is don't go out and generate a bunch of buzz for your store when you're not ready to accept orders or when you don't have enough stock to fulfill. Like we got this big press piece, you know, sold a hundred grand or whatever it was worth of product and just didn't have it. It wasn't, it had not come into the country yet. You know, we had, didn't have the, 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 the containers for the product. We just could not fulfill, which is a really, really bad idea because people don't like it when they buy something from you and you can't give it to them. It's just, it's not a good thing. So what would have been the t- more tactful way to say it? Is just say, you know, we're on back order or what did you guys end up? telling the customers call everyone individually apologize and it doesn't matter how many there are hire people to do it call up and say you know what we're so sorry we screwed up here and if you'd like a refund we're happy to do that if you like back order here's the time but you really individually touch each person and make the time to um, communicate that you screwed up and that you know you, you want to keep them with a customer and that you're sorry that you don't have the product they ordered mm-hmm. and do you find that the honesty works and they just they send them like okay I'm not happy but I'll wait so, sometimes <laughs> sometimes you get people who are pissed who are not happy with you you know they're like what are you doing so you know it just depends on the person more often than not people are cool but sometimes you run into people who are just not happy that you've you know sold them something that they can't have and they let you know about it I mean they don't ever do anything other than like tell you that you're a terrible person but it doesn't feel good to be to- you know told that you know, I don't know I think for the most part people are cool but you do you know I'm not not going to say you don't run into the uh, to the folks who are you know <laughs> who are not so nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see. And so one of the things about I think new entrepreneurs when they get like major press breaks or like you get on like TechCrunch, Hacker News, you always think this is like your big break. Does that did that happen with uh, Boom with Cindy Joseph or was it kind of like a snowball day by day thing to get to where it is today? Big breaks last about a week. You know, you get on, you get in the San Francisco Chronicle and you get a shoot giant big spike up of sales. You get on TechCrunch or whatever it is. I know, I know companies, software companies have had this experience and then it drops off. You know, the only way to create consistent, um, revenue and consistent sales is to, to be consistent in your marketing, to consistently put out content, to consistently have press pieces, even if they're small. Like one big, one big shot doesn't do anything for you. It's just like a shot of adrenaline in the arm, but it's not sustainable. Yeah, and like just going looping back to our conversation about this whole e-commerce super nothing. I mean, if you have a community, it's a self-sustaining and it grows organically and you won't need these big breaks to you know, make, your, make or break your business. All right. And so, you know, where just to the last question, you know, where can we find you online, both uh, for the e-commerce business and your personal site? Absolutely. So, you know, uh, you can find me at smartmarketer.com if you'd like to talk to me about e-commerce. If you're interested in uh, getting, you know, the, the images or the slides, or the, you know, uh, analytics information that I was talking about, you can email me at Ezra, that's E-Z-R-A, at smartmarketer.com, S-M-A-R-T-M-A-R-K-E-T-E-R.com, smartmarketer.com. 
um, and I'd be happy to share that stuff with you. And you know, I'm putting out a bunch of free videos on that website starting in February, um, which is next week. So you'll get a bunch of free e-commerce stuff like that. You can find my my main e-commerce store, which is Boom by cindyjoseph.com b-o-m-b-y-c-i-n-d-y-j-o-s-e-p-h.com boom by cindy joseph and that's where you know that's that's that e-commerce store that we've kind of been talking about here and so connect with me say hi let me know that you enjoyed the podcast or you didn't enjoy it or whatever i'd like to i'd like to you know connect with you so yeah awesome all right ezra thanks so much i think that's it we may have to get you on again in the future so we'll keep in touch cool thanks terry i appreciate it about running an online store, visit our website at buildmyonlinestore.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Build My Online Store Podcast.